Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBury podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBury. I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. So we're going to start this week's episode by talking about Friday's non-farm payrolls report, the impact they had on the market, and our general thoughts, I guess, on the, on the strength of the US labour market. And now for all those football fans out there, last week was a very exciting one in Euro 2020 with two or three great matches, including, I might add, a couple of very good wins for England. Unfortunately, the same can't quite be said about the FX market. Most currencies, particularly the major ones, spent much of it within rather narrow bands amid a lack of significant news flow. On Friday, though, we did get some volatility following the release of the monthly US non-farm payrolls report. Among other indicators, this shows how many net jobs were added in the non-farm sector of the US economy. The report was rather mixed. 850,000 net jobs were added in June, which is the most in 10 months and above the 700k consensus. But there was a surprise increase in the unemployment rate, which ticked higher to 5.9% from May's 5.8%. Investors very much latched onto the latter, sending the dollar modestly lower versus its peers, although the dollar index remains just shy of three-month highs following the Federal Reserve's hawkish monetary policy tilt in June. Uh, so what do you both make of Friday's payrolls report and the reaction in the market? Uh, it was very mixed. And, and one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think is that uh, the month-to-month payroll reports offers less information, less valuable information than it used to, uh, possibly because the seasonal adjustments, especially in the establishment report, uh, have been uh, have been disrupted by the pandemic. Uh, there's two reports. There's one establishment report that uh, service businesses, and then there's the household report that service individuals. And it was the household uh, that is the household one that uh, generates an employment number. And there was this this uh, different, very different reads from from the two of them. The establishment survey, like you said, uh, had uh, it was a positive surprise. More jobs were created than was expected. Not clear how much of this has to do with this, this seasonal adjustments, which are have been disrupted by the pandemic. Uh, the household report was consistent with a supply constrained labor market, where uh, the the remaining workers that have not been reemployed by the companies are are somewhat reluctant to to go back to work. I mean. Uh, let's let's remember that even though some states are starting to phase out the uh, the very generous unemployment benefits, we won't see the results of that phase out until next month because for this month, the week of the survey, the uh, unemployment benefits were still this very generous pandemic um, uh, checks. Uh, I don't think it changes significantly the picture that uh, the uh, the U.S. economy remains remains. Constrained by uh, by supply constraint, uh, rather than the, by the demand side, and that uh, the process by which the especially in the hospitality and service sector, the businesses that lost their workers in the pandemic, the process by which they they recover and and go back to uh, to the productive capacity they had before the COVID is going to be a slow and protracted one. And it's not sure that the additional stimulus, whether it's fiscal or monetary, is going to be help, that helpful in, in bringing uh, that, uh, in, in restoring that uh, 
that uh, service business fabric. Yeah, I, I agree. I th- I still think that we are still in the dark when it comes to the U.S. labor market, uh, but not only the labor market, also when it comes to inflation, uh, also to some extent the situation in the manufacturing sector uh, to how good the improvements actually are at this point. Uh, we had those two conflicting surveys. Uh, and when it comes to the market reaction, I think that uh, it was negative uh, because the uh, consensus didn't show the expectations of the market. Sometimes, uh, typically, uh, they are quite aligned. Uh, however, uh, at times they can diverge. And uh, when this happens, uh, then even though uh, the uh, non-farm payroll number, the key number, uh, turns out better than uh, it was supposed to be, uh, according to the economic consensus, uh, I think that the market uh, was counting on something at least of that size uh, or perhaps even better. Uh, and uh, the details of the report were not really that strong. So I think that that's what uh, dragged the dollar down this time. For me, yeah, I think I think the best description that we could probably use for a report, and I think this is one that you used, Enrique, was uh, it was a, a mixed to strong report. I think the, the headline number, as we said, was was impressive under the circumstances. Eight hundred fifty net jobs added, probably exceeded most expectations of economists. Maybe perhaps not the markets, but I think most economists were, were expecting slightly less. Um, I think I guess it's somewhat slightly counterintuitive that U.S. employers have struggled to fill positions in the past few months given the mass layoffs that we've had, of course, during the crisis and the fact that I think only around sort of 65, 70% of all jobs that were lost during the pandemic period uh, have been added. Um, but that has indeed been the case, as we talked about Biden's stimulus package, that I think some uh, have criticised for being a little bit over generous. It is deterring uh, individuals from seeking work. Um, but I do think this upside surprise is encouraging. It's just that these labour shortages perhaps easing and I would expect further gains, uh, solid gains in jobs in the coming months as as more states open up their economies to a greater extent. Um, so for that reason, I think the dollar's response was a little bit strange, but it, it wasn't a huge move. It was only a minor sell-off in the greenback. And actually, as we said, the dollar's still trading round about three-month highs against its major peers. Uh, so we're going to move on now and talk about our thoughts on euro-dollar, particularly in light of the recent upside surprises in eurozone economic data. As a narrative in the market throughout much of this year so far has surrounded the outperformance of the US economy, uh, following the country's faster vaccination rollout, of course, and the more sort of blasé approach to imposing virus restrictions. Uh, in the last few weeks, however, we have begun to see signs of a convergence in economic performance between the US and the Eurozone, as restrictions in Europe are unwound. Uh, curfews in the likes of France and Italy have now ended, indoor hospitality is reopened and aside from large bands on large gatherings, I should say, uh, life is beginning to return to something much closer to normal. And this has been reflected in the latest PMIs. Um, Tuesday morning's Eurozone Composite Index was revised higher, up to 59.5 in its fastest pace since 2006. And today's retail sales figures were also strong, beating expectations up 4.6% month on month in May. Yet, we've not really seen this reflected in the euro just yet, which actually in the last week or so has been uh, the worst performer in the G10, apart from the Japanese yen. Um, so my question to both of you, are either of you surprised we've not seen a better performing euro off the back of this strong data? And what do you make of this rebound in general? Uh, I think I'll take a little romantic that first. 
<laughs> because I am a bit puzzled by this and hopefully Roman has a better answer than I do. Yeah, I think that when it comes to the euro dollar, we had basically three distinct periods since the beginning of the year. So the first period was when uh, we saw that the US economy will likely power ahead in the first months of uh, 2021, but this will also contribute to a stronger growth throughout the year. Uh, and the, the yields in the US rose significantly on the longer dated bonds, and this pushed the dollar higher. Then we had the, uh, the second period in which uh, we had the uh, more optimistic pandemic news when the restrictions started being unwound in Europe and the euro uh, returned to the limelight. And right now, I think the, we have a third period in which the market is focusing on uh, the Federal Reserve and the uh, likelihood of uh, the tightening of monetary policy. Uh, and this is something that would be positive for the US dollar. And I think that many information that we are right now receiving are viewed uh, strictly in that context. So the U.S. data, but also uh, other information. So generally, uh, I think that the reaction uh, to the signals from the Fed uh, have been uh, maybe too pronounced. Um, maybe the market overreacted. Uh, however, I think that... Uh, uh, and, and, I, and I think that uh, b before the time that they would uh, decide to uh, tighten monetary policy and particularly hike interest rates, it's still 18 or probably more like 24 months uh, in front of us. And uh, historically, when we had the situation in, in where the U.S. rates were uh, low and uh, for a long time, uh, the euro outperformed. So I would expect that the euro should still continue to outperform, but maybe not to a very significant extent uh, from the current period, uh, as long as the pandemic situation globally, particularly in Europe, but also globally allows. Uh, but uh, going forward, moving into maybe uh, 2023, uh, uh, maybe even slightly earlier, uh, as the market will focus on the Fed, I think uh, that uh, we might see a reversal in the dollar's fortune and uh, appreciation of the dollar. And I think that uh, markets are just uh, looking into the future at this point and uh, possibly overreacting. I mean, uh, I mean that's my best explanation tentative explanation for the recent weakness in the euro is that uh, that the the signals from the ECB uh, have been confusing, but overall much more dovish than in, in the US. Uh, it seems like uh, again uh, the this 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 hawkish turn in the in the Federal Reserve caught the markets by by surprise, and it was not much or hasn't been matched so far by the European Central Bank. I doubt that this this gap between the stances of the two banks will remain uh, very long. I would expect that by September, uh, the probably we start to see some significant discussions between the more hawkish members of the European Central Bank Council and and the more dovish um, council members led by President Lagarde. And that the market will start to price in that in the euro dollar exchange rate and push the euro up versus the dollar once they start to see that there's uh, some some questioning in the governing council of the European Central Bank of the extremely monetary loose monetary policy and how long they're expected to keep to keep it in place. I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, I'm actually a little bit surprised we've not seen perhaps. Maybe not the market reaction, but um, perhaps a little bit more attention 
um, placed on this recent strong data out of Europe. Um, as I said, the narrative that we've seen throughout much of this year so far has been the US outperforming most of our economies in the G10. But I think um, I think this divergence in economic performance that we've seen so far is perhaps um, reversing. Activity in the US remains strong, but um, growth appears to be plateauing a little bit, uh, as one would expect now that most of the restrictions are already unwound. Uh, in Europe, though, um, we are just beginning to see the start of this sharp recovery as lockdowns are finally removed. Um, so I think that does present a little bit of an upside potential for euro dollar. But I think, as you said, Enrique, I think the main reason why we're probably not seeing that reflected in the market is, of course, the market's view on ECB policy. Um, certainly rate hikes in Europe are nowhere near on the horizon, unlike the Fed that, of course, has indicated it could maybe hike on two occasions the year after next. Okay, I think we'll finish with our spotlight currency for the week now, as voted for uh, by our loyal followers on LinkedIn, who have this week uh, chosen the Brazilian real. Now, the real was um, pretty much the worst performing currency in the world in the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic, falling to almost 5.9 to the US dollar amid concerns over the government's handling of the COVID-19 crisis. In the second quarter of the year, though, the currency roared back sharply and has been comfortably the best performing EM currency in the past three months, following aggressive rate hikes from the Central Bank of Brazil. Uh, but the big question is, is this rally sustainable? Or what do you both think? And is the real a buy, a sell or a hold opportunity? Okay, uh, I still see the Brazilian, Brazilian market is one of the few out there that offers uh, significant interest rate pickup uh, at a time where, where all developed economies have rates are zero below. Um, we have a massive, massive improvement in the terms of trade of uh, the Brazilian economy thanks to this this scorching rally in commodities that just that has seems to have no let up. I I still and we have a, a significant uh, uh, correction over the last couple of weeks and I still is one perhaps my favorite currency worldwide is the Brazilian real right here. Yeah, generally. So you think it's a buy? I think it's definitely a buy. Yeah, so I would agree it's a buy. However, uh, as with other Latin American currencies, uh, the issue is uh, politics a lot of the time. And uh, yes, the Brazilian real has been outperforming uh, many other emerging market currencies in uh, April and May. Uh, however, at the end of June, uh, we saw the currency uh, depreciating somewhat. Still, we are at near the lowest levels uh, locally, however, uh, depreciated. And right now we are starting to see more headlines uh, regarding the corruption accusations of President Bolsonaro. And it now becomes uh, more and more likely that in 2022 we are going to see a political shift in Brazil uh, with uh, a former president, Lula, back in power. And I think that this uh, might unnerve some investors. So this puts additional risk on Brazil. Uh, also, the situation on the COVID front in Brazil is uh, at this point uh, not ideal. I mean, this, this uh, we are seeing some improvements, both on the vaccination front and when it comes to new cases. They have fell sharply uh, of late. Uh, however, uh, the situation is still far from good. And 
uh, with the new Delta variant and other variants emerging all across the world, I think that uh, it, it may pose some risk uh, to Brazilian real. So uh, I would focus on the coronavirus data and on the political headlines. Uh, however, from the fundamental perspective, uh, the Brazil looks uh, Brazilian real looks extremely cheap, particularly looking at where the commodity prices are, uh, and particularly uh, looking at the monetary policy tightening that the central bank has been uh, engaging in uh, for the past few months. Uh, right now we are uh, up by uh, 225 basis points, uh, looking at the uh, seller rate uh, since uh, March. So I think that uh, this is a very uh, attractive proposition for investors. So I would, I would consider it a buy, uh, although I would see uh, risks. I tend to agree with that. Yeah, for, for, for me, I think long term, I, I, I view this as a, as a buy opportunity. I do see longer term upside potential for the Real. As we mentioned, I think the country's fundamentals remain very strong. Um, and I think uh, concerns surrounding COVID actually in Brazil have eased slightly, which has allowed a little bit of a rally in the past few weeks. Um, but for me, short term, I'd, I'd, I'd actually be inclined to hold um, the Real. Um, I think the aggressive pace of hikes that we've seen in the last uh, couple of months or so that have allowed the currency to rally uh, as sharply as it has. I, th- I think that tightening uh, rate hike cycle um, is now largely priced in. I think the market is expecting another 75 basis point hike in August. Uh, I think there is a slight risk, uh, of a, or a greater risk, I should say, of a smaller than larger than expected rate hike in August. So going into the meeting, I think that perhaps risk might be slightly more skewed to the downside. And for that reason, I would probably hold the currency in the short term, but um, have a a bullish long-term view on the real. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebris' website, follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you would like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening.